Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Субтитры сделал 
Как мне сладостно с ними в общении Самых близких родных Самых чистых сердец единение Льется к Богу хвала И молитвы возносятся к небу Здесь так много тепла Здесь обилие духовного хлеба Здесь обилие духовного хлеба Субтитры 
и мы провозгласим наш неизменный манифест. Могущему же соблюсти нас от падения и поставить пред славою Своею непорочными в радости единому премудрому Богу, Спасителю нашему, через Иисуса Христа, Господа нашего, слава и величие, сила и власть прежде всех веков, ныне и во все веки. Аминь. And so, if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God that the Lord allows us to understand deeper and deeper so that we can be clothed into this, these riches to inherit them. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. We know that this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goal is that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue, and in part we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed Romans 4.13 For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which, the, which is the spoken words of God's delegated one. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. Little children, Apostle John writes, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrist haters of Christ have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. 
This is already in the first apostolic church. They saw many antichrists. They went out from us. Again, I repeat that the antichrists are not atheists or people of this world. These are people who came out from the church not accepting God's uh, order in the church that have resisted God's delegated ones who are to be head of church. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they may, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that they may be man made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 1 John 2.18-26. If you remember that there were some conflicts uh, uh, among the church at the time as well, that there was one that resisted John and had appointed himself and began to uh, set the people against John. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Every time when we stretch out our hand and accept promises that, that are given to us in the preached word, God accounts this to us as righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This will uh, determine who we are because the kind of thoughts you have is who you are in your heart. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving because upon the count of every one of us all of the promises are placed. All of the <clears throat> being provided for, being taken care of is all in in for us or given to us in Jesus Christ. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Not looking at the fact that these promises will be withheld, say, the peace of God will fill our heart because we know that we have them, even though we haven't received them physically, they, it is upon our account and in the time that he has decided will give it. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. All who desire to become rich materialistically cannot please God. 
According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ that is erect within our bodies the stronghold of life. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question so we can shine with our Son as He shines with His Son upon the righteous and unrighteous and pour out our rains upon the just and unjust and have been studying the question, by what signs are we able to determine examining ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by this, the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The words are taken from the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, Matthew 5, 9. With this, we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruit of peace, which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace, where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives the promise of the peace of God that we need to keep as our crown or hold fast as our crown, receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God that are obligations of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that are agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, and we note that such a violator can only only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibilities of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace that serves as a grounds or basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the lost prophets and psalms because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted finally into the quality and format of righteousness where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. 
as it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. We've noted that in this place of scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God contained containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, Apostle Paul writes, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. According to this place of scripture, we cannot have peace with all men. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived, Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34 Those who think that we need to love everyone and have communication with all because God is love, they do not know God, that God has a selective love and that he loves those who love him and hate those who hate him. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth but then left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them and became the haters of Christ although they don't consider themselves this way, but the, the scriptures are the ones who consider them this way. The very fact of the rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, as my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. I periodically get letters from people who left the church where they condemn me and say that I incorrectly preach. I would like to say, you uh, uh, are writing to me in vain. Don't waste paper. When you want to judge me, stating that I incorrectly uh, judge or preach what do you do when you write all kinds of terrible things in these letters perverting my words and not understanding them so beware be careful because sooner or later all the curse will come upon you and turn back upon your head and you will not be able to escape these words because the, these are the words of God and not my words. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. In other words, it means that the, this peace of God that we are called to 
is to be in one body in Jesus Christ. We have noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God exclusively. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal eternal and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and his children. Not all children in the church God calls his own. At his time, Jesus called the Sanhedrin the children of the devil. Your father is the devil and you want to fulfill his will. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you, Apostle Paul writes, prays for the church, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. What a beautiful prayer. Take this place of scripture and say, may the Lord grant me according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through our spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may able may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God, or you will be praying that I would be filled with all of the fullness of God. You easily can turn these prayers into your own prayers and they will be perfect and be in accordance to the demands of the truth and so your precious stone of prayer will fit perfectly into the golden settings of the word of god However, to come to more practical conclusions, when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture and the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. found in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. We note that each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, exist one in the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of our Heavenly Father, or God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that is, receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of your life.
when you're ba being baptized by the Holy Spirit, you can't accept Him as the Lord and Master of your life because you are still a child or infant in Christ at that point. When we are in, grown into full measure in Christ Jesus, then He will begin to knock into our heart or upon our heart. He knocks into, upon the heart of those people that have been grown into full measure in Christ to, to then come there as a master when people understand who God is and who they are, that it is not they that need to direct God and tell him what to do, but it is God who needs to direct them and tell them what to do. And they need to wait as in the religious sects, they state that faith is commanding God. If it is written, give it to me, and if you don't give it to me, then it is, you are not the God who promised everything. You are not able to give. This is how they communicate with God. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. We inherit them and become a God, part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man, because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our heavenly Father and his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love, a holy love that is separated from all that man calls love. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes or reasons. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 9. This is taken from the 49th Psalm. 
The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked are, and the one who loves violence has his, his soul hates. And so God does not love those people. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7, only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we will be able to demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. We are not able to find them in, in any dictionary of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own personal sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as her burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness. Stopped and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of this great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 And God did all of this by the people that are in his image and his likeness. He did not... He did not demonstrate or show himself in some other way but by his church, that it may be known to the principalities in heaven, the many forms of God's glory. You are the light of the world as a city on a hill and a candle in the, ho in the house and it shall shine for everyone in the house, for the world and for the church. Again, God shows himself by his people. It is the same with the devil and hell. God shows himself by his people. When people try to take that position, not being children of God, when they confess the faith that is not in their heart, then the devil just mocks them and says, Who are you? They say, In the name of Jesus Christ, made the demon come out that Apostle Paul pre is preaching about. And the devil said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, who are you? If it would have been Paul, I would have obeyed. If Jesus would have said it, I would have obeyed, and who are you? 
he beat them, their seven men, and these were the sons of the high priest, and he undressed them, and they naked ran away. And so, it appears that children of the high priest were not able to rebuke demons because they were speaking idle words. They, they spoke the words, but they were not in their heart. Paul rebuked only when God commanded him to rebuke demons. A lot of people uh, walked with him and a possessed woman, and she, she uh, continually said, Great is, the, is the, the prophet of God and the one from the Most High. <clears throat> and when Apostle, Apostle Paul did not react for a, a short while, but when God uh, prompted him, he did react and he forbid her from speaking any further. And so we cannot rebuke demons always or heal, but only when God wants that. It is not us that are masters of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit continues to be master of his gifts, and he heals only when he desires and only by the people that he desires. And you cannot learn these things. You can't learn these things to, to heal, to rebuke demons. You can't learn that in a class. You learned humility, but to practice spiritual gifts is not something that, that could be learned. You need to be a vessel of honor, and then God, in the needed time, when he finds it needed, then he will use you in that specific time and specific place. By demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God, agape, within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, the manner of their clothing that is not supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite sex. If you need to remember these things. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Further, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward man and the godliness of a man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor to God, a man's grace to God, and his thanksgiving. Godliness is the ability to visit the fatherless and the widow in their hardship and keep themselves undefiled by the world. The godliness of a man is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills. The godliness of a man is seeking God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God is his goodness directed toward man, to a thankful person, to a thankful man that has favor toward God. His, this is God's favor and God's grace toward man that has thanksgiving in his heart for God. This is his mercifulness toward man. 
This is his thanksgiving that is directed toward man, his good work and his good acts that are directed towards man, and his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The goodness of God and his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man, kindness of God identified in his good, acceptable, and perfect will which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by Him as a law of grace in the form of His commandment, which God has magnified above all His names and placed Himself in dependence from His word contained in His commandment. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God Himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there's also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 You see what the love of God is like. It is not tolerant. From such people turn away, break your relationship with. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man. This godliness with, with disdain breaks all relations or contact with them and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our, in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. What are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? Second, what purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And fourth, by what signs do we determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract his, the favor of God upon ourselves? Therefore, the next condition that we will pay attention to today in order to attract God's favor upon ourselves in the selective love of God is the necessity to confidently accept and overcome specific kinds of afflictions allowed by God into our life called to give us the ability to learn the statutes of the Lord. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Psalm 119, 71. So God's favor is directed towards us by the form of suffering and the, the purpose of it is to learn his statutes. And another place of scripture, Isaiah 38, 17, Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lo lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Practically, in these places of Scripture, and they are not the only ones, the favor of God toward man is presented in the furnace of suffering, by the means of which God delivers our soul from the pit of destruction and casts all of our sins behind himself. By allowing suffering, God, uh, the allowed suffering in our life, he 
delivers our soul from destruction. Today, when almost from all lecterns of various religious unions, success and prosperity are preached by practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is one of the most unpopular and unaccepted in our day's sermons. I perfectly understand and note for myself that such a sermon is the blessed lot only of the small flock in the form of the chosen by God remnant and a kind of watershed where the chosen to salvation are separated from the call to salvation. Now the question, can you be taught the statutes of the Lord in some other way that does not involve suffering? Or is there some something else besides real bitterness, a way to deliver our soul from the pit of destruction and corruption? If no, then about what nature of suffering and bitterness is it referring to? And how are we to behave toward about when it comes to the suffering and bitterness to receive the ability to deliver our soul from the furnace of destruction to understand and learn the statutes that are written in the laws prophets and psalm that have been the wellspring and means of writing the gospel it is necessary to understand suffering and bitterness in your soul and see the goodness of god in these things let us turn to the testimony of david in what way he was able to see the goodness of god in in the suffering of his soul to learn the statutes of god it is good for me that i have been afflicted that i may learn your statutes psalm 119:71. in hebrew the word to suffer to be afflicted means to be bent or inclined to be oppressed and suppressed, be pitiful and miserable, be degraded and humbled, be tortured and overcome dishonor, slandered and shamed or humiliated, be deprived of the right to protect yourself, make you afraid because of persecution, and be brought to a total exhaustion. At the same time, when it says great bitterness that allowed God or uh, David to see the goodness of God is to make your life bitter, is to call forth uh, sorrow and suffering of the soul and to be very bitter or to be very very much saddened. At this time, when he was, of course, suffering, David was not being able to see the goodness. When the process of suffering was going on in his life, he did not see the goodness of God, and he did not uh, was not able to evaluate the, the importance of them. But when the process of suffering was finished, he saw that his suffering was a blessing for his soul. This is evident from the words uh, that he, he writes, where it says suffering. He says, it is good for me that I suffer affliction or had suffered affliction. He wasn't talking about suffering in the present time. He was talking about suffering that he had experienced in the past. And he saw that this was a blessing for him and began to rejoice that God allowed him to pass this uh, pass this way or to experience this because he saw what he could receive from this. Psalm 126, 5, 6, 
Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually... So when this happens and we, we mourn, but when the, when the harvest comes, we will see God's favor. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Here's how Christ commented about this. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, will get, he will give you. The first reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists of us being able to see his goodness, giving us the ability to learn his statutes. The goal of suffering is the price that gives us the legal right and ability to learn the statutes of God. The thing is that a person who has not taught the statutes and commandments of God or has not comprehended the statutes of the Lord will not be able able to worship the Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth that is contained in the statutes of God, and the name of such a person will be then blotted out of the book of life, and he will inherit destruction. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes, Psalm 119, 171. A person cannot utter praise if he will not be taught God's statutes by the form of suffering and another place praise the lord for it is good to sing praises to our god for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful psalm 147 1 praise according to god's statutes is an acceptable praise that has the atmosphere and state within our heart of, of heaven in hebrew when it says uh, Acceptable praise is one that is in accordance to the demands of God's holiness, separated from evil, not part of disobedience, placed in dependence of the revelations of God, praying in accordance to the demands of the time, to cry out for help to God and liked by God. In other words, praise that is acceptable has evidence of our justification that has converted into the, into the format of righteousness that gives God the basis to function by, through us and in us upon planet Earth. A prayer where God, a person cannot present the evidence uh, of justification cannot be a continual memorial before God and give God the ability to work through him upon planet Earth. In scripture, the term praise is a legitimate a tool that confirms the legitimate relationship of a person with God. And so by the means of this acceptable praise, we are called to confirm our right to build our relationship with God in order to present His will and His judgments. To praise in Hebrew means to honor, to respect, to glorify, to lift up, and to be thankful and thank God to shine, to bring forth your rays, and to hallow God. A more complete form of praise, definition of praise, is to list the names and titles of God, to list the works that God has done, to thank God for the works that he has done, the works of redemption he has done, to pride yourself 
about be pri- pride yourself by God, to leave and not abandon your place, be faithful to your calling, to learn and fulfill the desires of God, to trust God and hope upon God. Acceptable praise when we're talking about glorifying God. This is an identification of the kingdom of heaven inside of a man. And acceptable praise is the atmosphere of the heart of a person where God abides and where God reveals himself. But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel, Psalm 22.3. That means that this person has a membership to the body of Christ and that he praises God in the body of Christ. A statute and a specific instruction that explains the order and the following of a commandment. Fulfilling any kind of commandment is called to regulate the rightful relationship a person has with God. And it is to be brought this praise in a specific place, which is the body of Christ, accepting God's authority over yourself. And to offer it in the time that God appoints, offer it in the order that God demands, that is, according to his statute. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment. And so everything to receive, every, for every matter that went to receive it, there's a time in judgment. Though the misery of a man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him? And the reason is because he refused uh, to uh, accept the person who could tell him. Ecclesiastes 8, 5 through 7. According to this place of scripture, not a single person will be able to follow the commandments if they will not accept the authority of the person whom God has placed in the body of Christ to teach him the statutes that explain <clears throat> and outline the order of the commandments of God. The second reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists of the glory of the Lord that is received into our heart to cleanse our heart from all interpretations of the perverse nation and chaff of the flesh. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighting of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from the generation forever. Psalm 12, 5 through 7. The word of God in the form of the word of God is the truth about justification, where God in Jesus Christ reconciles a man to himself and does not account his sins to him. This is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not in putting their trespasses to them. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Blessed are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To suffer is to be robbed, to be deprived of. A poor person is not an identification of a social status, but the status and virtue of a good heart of a man that hungers for the word of God and trembles before God's word waiting for it to be fulfilled. 
Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A poor, poor is a person who has uh, refused to rely upon anything else in order to rely upon God. And so for God to receive the legitimate basis to place this person in safety, he allows into their life the suffering and sighing so that he can cleanse their heart uh, from the chaff of their own flesh because the word of the Lord that comes out of the mouth of God does not demand purification this is pure silver that does not have any other chaff uh, or a mixture of any kind of idea or interpretation or chaff but when a person receives this word uh, he begins to interpret it his own way, but I understand it like this, and so that everyone understand correctly, and that not everyone have their own individual interpretation, God allows suffering into our life to uh, uh, pretty much have it go through the furnace and have it go through seven times re-purified re, uh, seven times so that it be absolutely pure. The phrase I shall arise means that I will immediately stand up and I will place you in the atmosphere of safety. If a person does not possess within his heart the uh, virtue of poverty, that is, the hunger to hear the word of God that comes out of his mouth, then his suffering and his sighing will not be a blessing. Uh, all people suffer, but only one nature of suffering is acceptable, and that is the one that God pays attention to. The third reason that explains the necessity for this nature of suffering that God allows into our life in the flesh consists of us not sinning anymore and finally living not following man's lusts, but according to the will of God. 1 Peter 4.1.2 Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of man, but for the will of God. In the original, in the Greek language, according to the flesh, is not the body of a person, but the sinful nature of a man that lives within the body. Christ suffered for us in the flesh at the time when he died upon the cross. He took upon us his sin our sinful nature, the old man with his deeds, and together with us to eternally uh, condemn this nature to hell, and we in this way, we're clothed into the death of Jesus Christ in the baptism of water, spirit, and fire. And we, when he resurrected, we together resurrected with him, and we clothed in his resurrected. We received then the ability to live the life of God according to his will that is good, acceptable, and perfect. The fourth reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists in us receiving the right to eat and drink with Christ his banquet in the kingdom that the Father has promised him. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, Luke 22, 28 through 30. People cannot end up upon this banquet and listen to the promises and accept them into their heart if they will not experience suffering. Suffering allows us today to be upon this banquet. Although we may not understand why this and when will it pass, but this is God's goodness because we're overcoming suffering. <clears throat> 
These sufferings are not simple. These are the trials of Christ that the Lord has allowed for us to share with Him. To abide in the trials of Christ is to place yourself in such a position where the mockery of that goes against him is fa- fallen upon us. And this is possible when we allow the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to place us into Christ. The fifth reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists of in that the nature of suffering we overcome will be a foresign of destruction for our enemies, and for us it will be a foresign of salvation. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same, the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Philippians 1.27 through 30. He speaks of suffering as a reward, as, a, as something that is a privilege. The hater of Apostle Paul and other apostles were people who accepted Christ, but then announced that they were delegated from God and came out from the churches and convinced others to follow them. The next reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists of the testing of our faith would yield the fruits of patience demonstrated in the perfect work that so that we would be perfect in all fullness without exception. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Hebrews 10, 36-39. The ability to endure, to be patient, and it is formed in this furnace of suffering. The seventh reason that explains the necessity of this nature of suffering that God allows into our life consists of God being able to receive the grounds to open within our body the imperishable inheritance that is pure and does not fade away. Blessed be the God and this inheritance cannot be revealed uh, that will destroy the stronghold of death without the allowed suffering into our life. Let us read this place very closely. Usually people don't pay attention to it. They only uh, pay attention to the imperishable uh, treasure that is promised, but they don't pay attention to the price that allows this treasure to be revealed. First Peter 1, 3-11 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who 
according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that, is, that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are, is kept by, by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And of course, the condition here is that a heart that trembles before the word of God. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, the price here. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, of the salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was in indicating when he testified before had the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. Everything we can receive, we can receive by suffering. When I understood this, I stopped justifying myself. I stopped looking for my own to prove that I didn't do this, I didn't say this. As soon as someone begins to persecute you, condemn you, inside I began to, uh, I, in myself, I, I, I say, I need to take this opportunity and overcome this, and I thank God for that opportunity. But when uh, someone comes up and says, well, I don't understand uh, things this way that you're stating. Uh, at, at this time, I'm not, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm just feeling sorry for the person, the person doing these things. What happened with this person? How could they have allowed Satan to allow them to... Uh, allowed Satan to put these kinds of thoughts in their mind. It's a person who spits upon the apostle of God, upon a person of God. Younger people have and, uh, have, have spoken uh, uh, terrible things. Uh, and some of the others of the youth also had told others to not come to me. There are other foolish people who write uh, and uh, write terrible things in letters to me. And the reason they do this is they have no peace in their heart. I have great peace in my heart. Take the opportunity when you have an opportunity to suffer. Take that opportunity to overcome them and rejoice that you have the privilege to do so. Let us bend our knees and pray and prepare ourselves for this great service of communion that is called to bless us and all those who desire to uh, confront sin, illnesses, suffering, shame, uh, may bitterness you have in your heart, we're wait waiting for you here and the Holy Spirit will give you the opportunity to deliver, to be delivered and maybe look at the situation you're in now and instead of sorrow and saying, Lord, when will this end? You say, Lord, 
Lord, I thank you that you have allowed me to overcome these trials with you. Amen. I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on this place. He is ready to deliver you now from the weight of the sin that has been committed to blot it out of his memory and cast it behind him. Right now, he can forgive you, cleanse your soul. Right now, he can heal you, and he desires this. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. A sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what he wants to give you. For he loves that you uh, spread out your hands, stretch out your hands without doubt or sin. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you again and again. I open up my heart. I confess my sins. I hate them. I deny them. And I want to be delivered from their dependence. I ask you, cleanse me, wash me by the blood of your Son. Deliver me from shame and dependence of sin. Deliver my body heal it from illnesses that are the result of sin I thank you for the suffering that I have been able to endure for the sake of your name I didn't know much I tried to avoid these suffering I did not think you heard me and I did not know this was good for me I thank you that I can suffer for the sake of your name, that I can overcome suffering for the sake of your name. May your mercy be blessed now and forever. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, we'll ask everyone to stand and proclaim our manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to god our savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen